0: When we set out to record this episode, I didn't realize how much I was going to learn from it. The helplessness and helplessness that comes with having a family member in addiction is heart wrenching. And our guests share some of the wisdom they've gained with their own experiences with this. But we also get a glimpse into what it was like for our families when we fought our own addictions. Listen as we learn what it means to help those we love who are struggling with addiction in a healthy way.
2: Before
0: we get started, we just want to make sure you all know that we host weekly meetings on Zoom for anyone who is looking for a place to find community and connect. We share a topic and divide off into small groups, just like what we share on our podcast. It's just a safe place to connect and make some friends in the recovery community. If you're interested, you can visit our website at throughtheglassrecovery.com and enter your email address and we'll send you all the details. Welcome, everybody. It is so nice to see you all. We have a really neat lineup of guests tonight. I'm really excited about this. So we're gonna do introductions first, and then this episode is gonna be just a little bit different than our usual, but we'll let everybody tell you about themselves first, and then I will explain. So we're gonna go ahead and start with Derek, who has been here a couple times before. How are you doing tonight?
3: I am doing good. My name is Derek. I am 39 years old. I'm just over three years sober and in recovery. I work in residential treatment at my high recovery center here in Denver, Colorado. I peer coach. I'm a personal trainer. Yeah, and I love recovery. If you ever want to check out my Instagram, it's Fit. I do a lot of advocacy and just reels about hope, laughter, and recovery. So, yeah, that's me in a, in a nutshell.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Derek's Instagram is amazing. I will include a link for that in our show notes and you guys should definitely check him out. There's all kinds of really inspiring stuff and and definitely some
2: good laughs too. So mm-hmm. next we're going to go with Anne. Hi, I'm Anne. I'm from Pennsylvania. I'm a wife. I'm a mom of an adult son. I'm a professional writer and I play the bagpipes. It's a little different, and I've been sober for 702 days, and I'll be two years sober the first week of May. Amazing. So, Yeah, so that's that's really something that means a lot to me. I consider myself a work in progress. I'm a recovering perfectionist, as the saying goes, and I've really come to believe the most important thing I've learned on this journey is that obstacles are put in our way for growth. And that really working through them and over them is really part of the journey and I'm learning to embrace it. And um, I'm really happy to be here and to be talking about this topic. So thanks for having me.
1: Thanks for being here, Anne.
2: Uh, Thank you for being here. It means a lot to us. Mm -hmm. And
0: next we're going to go with Jen.
4: Hi, everyone. I'm Jen. I am from Arizona. It's beautiful out here, 82 degrees. I have been sober for one year, 10 months, and 20 days. I'm about to hit my two-year mark in May, May 17th. Right on. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. I have two adult sons. And this has been quite a journey, I have to say. I've been met up with a lot of obstacles coming my way. And I've persevered through everyone. And it's been challenging, but i'm good sobriety has been the best the best thing for me in what an adventure it's been that's for sure so thanks for having me i'm glad to be here
1: thanks for being here jen
0: we're glad to have you too and last but not least is raul
5: hello everyone uh thanks for inviting me i'm really uh flattered and grateful for this opportunity so my name is raul i'm from uh, seattle washington Uh, Pacific Northwest, I work in industrial distribution. I've been sober for a little bit over 39 months. On the 28th of this month, I'll have 40 months. It's kind of crazy. And my journey started uh, because my son was getting in a lot of trouble with the police. And uh, the last incident, which kind of set everything in motion, was uh, he had two other incidents coming in on him. And cause he was supposed to stay out of trouble, but he got a DUI, almost killed himself in a motorcycle accident. And he was really, really stressed out. And, uh, I was at the hospitals cause he had broken his arm and, uh, I said, you know, all of this is pretty, uh, you know, you can get out of this. All you need to do is stop drinking. I mean, you're a good kid. Uh, most of your troubles come when you're getting loaded and and uh, he said, I agree with you, Dad, and I uh, wanted you help me. And that's what kind of set this thing in motion. He recently went back out last April. God, it will be a year this April, and I can just see him struggling. His uh, light has just gone out, and it's been, it's been one of the most challenging things in my recovery to date. I'm um, uh, Central Washington University graduate, so (laughs) I'm a wildcat, and uh, I'm looking forward to this uh, union. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here, Raul.
0: Thanks for being here. This should be a really good conversation. Mm -hmm. So many of us that are in recovery also have family members that are struggling with addiction, and that brings a unique set of challenges to our sobriety. I know not everyone is going to be able to relate to this podcast episode, but Steven, I think it's really important that we make space for this discussion, because for those of you that have the added dynamic of a family member in addiction, getting some support and gleaning wisdom from others is imperative. So please share with us, what are the difficulties you've faced? How have you learned to work through them in a healthy way? Or what are you still struggling to work through? So Steve and I are gonna take a step back tonight and we're gonna let these four have this conversation and share with you some of their struggles and some of the things that they've learned about having a family member that is active in addiction.
5: Thank you, Julie.
4: Thank you, who who would like to start?
3: Uh, I'll go first. Um, I'll kick it off. Like I, my, my whole family from both my brothers to my sister to my mom, my dad, all, all addicts. And when I'm working with people in addiction, I usually, you lead them to that, that healthy side of Al-Anon or something, because believe it or not, like most of us have a loved one that is an addict and that doesn't have to be family friends. It could be friends. It could be a girlfriend. It could be someone else, you know, in the rooms and, uh, as I've come into my own recovery, I've learned that it really awakened me or brought me awareness to how much my addiction affected everyone else, um, especially family members. Um, watching them watch me be like an F5 tornado, just tearing th- everything up. And I finally stopped and when I got sober, I looked back and everyone's trying to pick up the pieces and, you know, put their lives together because my addiction affected them that way. And, like, my dad was recently out there using fentanyl, was homeless, using methamphetamine. We got him into a treatment center recently, but, like, that was really hard on me because it made me realize what, what kind of position I put my dad, my mom, my brothers and sisters in when they saw me go to prison when I was homeless, when I couldn't stop using, when I wanted to commit suicide, like, how that really hurt them. And I found myself grieving for my father even though he wasn't dead. That's how serious addiction and this stuff is, and, like, It put a whole new perspective on me and what I needed to do for self-care and self-worth and setting boundaries and not to be codependent or code matched with my father and think that I'm going to save him because everything in me wanted to save my father. I wanted to help him but I felt so hopeless and helpless, but it, but for me, like it, it, I almost feel like it's harder on this side of things than it is being the addict. Now that I'm on this side and I'm watching my family members all struggle with this because now I have to learn how to live life and love them at a safe distance while they're going through this. So it uh, just see, it woke me to, to just this awareness of like, wow, my addiction played a lot bigger part in other people's lives than I ever thought, because it's really hard to watch someone you love struggle with, um, alcohol or, or addiction. But that's, that's where I'll kick it off. That's where I'm kind of at with it. And um, I look forward to sharing, you know, different ways that I've learned with boundaries and how to set those and, like, how it, how it is is okay to grieve. It's okay to grieve someone that's not dead yet. It's okay. Because it, I I don't know. I don't know what the day is that it could take my father because that's where you at. And how do you do that in a healthy way? So, you know, I'm excited to hear what people have to say about this because this subject addiction affects so many more than just the addict.
4: Yeah. As, as a child of, um, alcoholics, when I was, when I was growing up, I didn't really know there was an issue back then. It was just always having that absent mother around. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I really knew exactly what was going on in, it wasn't just alcohol. I stem from a family of alcoholics growing up. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My mother is an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. but um but my kids, I have a twenty nine and a thirty year old, and it's Saturday night, and we're all, you know, having family dinner. and my youngest son says to me, Mom, i'm just like you and i said what do you mean and he's like if there's a bottle sitting there on the counter i just keep going i don't know when to stop and right there that was my decision to finally get my act together because it was only my family my husband and my children that really knew that when i did drink it was excessive and it was at that moment that i knew my son was in trouble and that I'm setting this example and I need to get my, I need to get it together because he's asking me for help. And I was already trying to quit at that point, going like a whole week and then maybe just the weekend. They'll just, I was toying with maybe just monitoring my alcohol and we all know how that is when you have a big problem, right? But yeah, that was my defining moment to get my act together. And that moment changed my life. And I've been sober for almost two years. Because of that, because of me making that change, my adult children have come to me and shared with me their problems. And their their doozies. Their big doozies. But we'll get into that after um, as we go along. But I have a big... I have a big job at my house right now, getting my kids back on track. And I opened that door for them to come home. And um, I would not have been able to do that had I have not been sober today.
2: So I'm grateful. I have um, a similar situation with my adult son who's back home and he tends to bounce back. You know, it's what we call it. He has been to rehab, relapsed within 24 hours. He's in 30 day. And and he has his mental health challenges and his, his drinking is in secret. He's his friend's designated driver. He's not a social drinker, but he is a secret middle of the night, calm himself down drinker. And eventually it's caused him to lose most of the jobs he's had. Or be, be unable to keep them you know he's quit probably before they told him to go and he always ends up kind of bouncing back and so the the situation for me was you know my drinking had gotten out of control in my mind you know now I didn't have a, a rock bottom that other people describe I had no you know no seminal incident that was like the turning point I just got like the saying says got sick and tired of being sick and tired. I I didn't like something controlling me and it was taking over more and more of my life. So a few years ago, I started looking into how to quit. But one of the biggest, most inspiring things for me was in a strange way, right around the time I came to the realization that I needed to quit, alcohol kind of turned on me in a good way. Like I, I started to hate it. I, I started to not love it anymore. And I look at it when I would be drinking... Also in secret, again, like most people, when I tell them I don't drink, they're like, oh, why? You know, like, you didn't have a problem. And it's like, well, yeah, I did. You you didn't see it, but I really did. But as my son's condition progressed and it became more debilitating for him, I started looking at alcohol, drinking it myself and, de- and despising it. But I couldn't put it down. It was like, this is the thing that's kind of killing my son, that's killing his future, that's just hurting him. And what am I doing? Like... And besides the example that I was probably setting, although again, it was, I was doing it in such secrecy that I feel like it wasn't, my son wasn't seeing me Oh, mom, if mom can do it, I can do it. But I feel like I just, I started looking at it with a whole different lens. And it was, it became, it was very difficult. I'm not going to lie to stop drinking, but knowing that this was the poison that my son was putting in his body and that was the the thing I was looking and seeing in his room when he was collapsed on his bed and staggering around in the middle of the night, eating food out of the microwave, just on a bender, you know, when he was back in our house under our roof, I just couldn't drink it anymore. And it took me a year of readings and meditation and everything to truly, you know, to, to the point where I felt I was kind of and I know you're never over it, but I felt like it was playing less of a role in my life. It took a long time, but it helped. Weirdly, his problems helped me just step away from it and, and, and be done, you know. But it's hard to have somebody who's actively drinking in the house because we now have an alcohol-free home. It's something my husband agreed to. In the beginning, he was never a big drinker. He's not sober, but he doesn't drink, like, almost ever. So he had no problem removing everything. But our son brings it in. So the smell, it's like when we take it out of my son's room, and I've chosen to have an alcohol-free home, but I have to empty wine boxes and liquor bottles on a daily basis and smell booze. It's like, you know, it's hard. You know, it's like, it, it doesn't make me feel like, you know, I'm going to go back to drinking, but it it's hard to have made that decision and, and have it be back under my nose again and the results of it. But... Yeah. So that's, I would have to say, you know, having my son drinking was a a huge, a huge reason that I stopped drinking myself. Yeah. And
4: do you find that the problem that your son has is very similar to my, to one of my children, um, has made you despise everything about alcohol and addiction altogether? Because I've also have a son that's been back and forth. And he had a professional job. He worked in the corporate world. He was a mortgage broker, a loan officer. He was making good money, and he kept getting fired, drinking on the job and just, just losing himself to this disease. And it took last year, he's been to two programs, two outpatient programs. He's had a seizure from withdrawals. I put him in the hospital and he's been to detox a couple times. And just when you think it's going to scare them enough, they still go back. And the worry, the constant worry about the future of your kids and where they're going to be has just gave me more fuel for my fight to stay sober. I hate everything about it. I hate everything about this addiction and this disease when it comes to my family and what it's doing to my kids. My son, they both, both of my sons are now, as of last week, have moved back home because of alcohol. My son can't get it together. He just, he just left these talks actually last week. And didn't resign didn't sign his lease for his apartment it ended in april he decided i need to come home i need my parents i can't get it together without them but then went through a complete binge right before it was time to move here and had to go to detox leaving dad and i to have to pick up the pieces of his apartment and pack it up clean it up and the extent of what I had to deal with there was horrifying, sad, having to sweep up all of these liquor bottles under his bed, shooter bottles in drawers, you name it, it was everywhere. And How old is your son? He just turned 29. And... To walk into his apartment and see this nightmare of how he's been living. It was devastating. So now we're all together under one roof as a family. And we're going to try to try to help them the best way we can to get on their feet, support them any way we can. And um and I I hope it helps because for me I've been dealing with so much the last couple of years with these boys and also death in the family, just trying to get all over all this, all these humps in life that could be triggers in a sense or, but I've worked through them. I've been able to work through them in a healthy way. So this right here is the most challenging one. And it just started. So if anyone has any advice on how to get through that, having addiction in your house when it's a sober free home if we're going to have our
1: challenges
4: they're not drinking so far
1: Raul looks like he's got something to say here Jen
4: yeah yeah I know he has I've I've followed him on um IAS
5: no I was just gonna say I'm, I'm really glad you shared that yeah it just reminds me and when my son went back out in April I wanted to like take over his decision making process. Yeah. I wanted to like stop it and and badger him and start to like yell at him. When um uh, he was in, you know, about 18, we my I got divorced because of uh, my drinking and that that couldn't stop me. And so when he was working, I preferred that he, you know, I knew he was going to drink and smoke weed, so I I let him do it and in our place instead of him going out and about but uh we've been living together for since he's now gonna be uh he'll be 29 this year he's 28 now and uh, he met a girl and he wanted to be on his own and i said okay and he started drinking and as soon as he started drinking he's a blackout drinker so he gets in a lot of trouble he wants to drive he wants to run out in the neighborhood, and he's got all these pending cases. And it used to drive me insane. I wanted to control it. I wanted to, like, take charge of his recovery. And uh, I had to talk to a lot of people in my recovery. And my sponsor, I, I go through the traditional AA program, which has worked really well for me. And I would talk to my sponsor. I goes, Raul, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Going to be there every time? Uh, are you going to gonna enable him so to avoid that inevitable crash that he has to fall on his face? And I said, Yeah, but it's super hard for me. I, I want to do something because I can't stand to watch him. What if he's going to be homeless? And what if he's going to be this? And what if he's going to be that? And I talked to people, it's Raul, him being homeless might be part of the story or him going to jail might be part of this story. It was really hard for me to come to that place of acceptance that I cannot control his recovery. No matter how much I try, no matter how many words I tell him, no matter how many safety nets I give him, I'm only prolonging the inevitable. And if they have a safety net to fall back to, then I started to come around the other side where I'm stifling his growth. Like we talked about growth just a minute ago. Like we have to go through the hardship before they can experience any kind of a growth. And listening to you is like, wow, I'm, you know, no offense. I'm glad I'm not doing that for my son because I've actually seen some evidence that he's starting to depend on himself. I I made a hard boundary with him. Is Look, this is, this is it. You know, whatever you do, you are I mean, I'll help you give you some food, but I'm not gonna help you with your, you know, paying your rent, doing the stuff that normal people are supposed to do, you know, like be responsible with your money. And yeah. when he gets off off the off the trail, you know, off the the rains, he doesn't know how to stop. And he he goes hard and he doesn't manage any of his life. And since I've stopped, since I put that boundary, he's actually blossoming, even though he's still drinking. But now I know that that's his recovery. It's not mine. And anything that like, if I get overwhelmed with anxiety, I talk to people, I pray about it. And I realize that I have zero control over it. I'm going to love him like a dad and I'll be there for him under the right set of circumstances. But He's gonna have to fend for himself. And and that's that was a hard thing for me to learn. It took me a really long time.
4: I completely agree with everything you just said. I in fact, like over the past month, I have been talking to my husband about, I mean, how much more are we gonna do? He needs to hit the bottom. And just this past week we've been talking and I do feel like we have been we've always fixed, you know, the boo-boos. We're always fixing everything to try to to try to help him along and and this week after everything and him going to detox, I'm like, when are we going to stop always coming in to save the day? I said this has to be it cuz we are. It it took me this week to realize we have we have been enabling and he's always said i don't know what i would do without you guys i would be screwed yeah you would but what would you do if we didn't help you i'm sure he would have found a way it might have been a hard way so you lost your car you take the bus you've lost your home like it's it's been hard because you love your kids and you want to do everything you can to protect them and it's like at what at what point do you say okay I need to stop. I you need to get this together on your own. I'm here to support you. I'm here for advice. I'm always here to be your mom. I love you, but I can't keep fixing your boo-boos. I can't. He's he's had us he's had us for the last 2 years and no matter what, it hasn't it hasn't made a difference. You went to two programs and it told me like I kept thinking to myself, like, why, why is he not getting this? How come I could do this? And he can't, why, what is the problem here? And I kept talking to other people who are in sobriety or in recovery. And they're like, Jen, this is not your journey. This is his journey. He has to figure it out on his own. And that's what I'm learning. And it's been a slow process, but I'm, I'm learning it now. And it's really hard to roll to to separate those boundaries but i'm i'm working on it it's this is a whole new dynamic that just happened and and we are working on it
1: it's definitely really hard to not not take responsibility for someone else's recovery when it's your own kid derek it is yeah i mean when i mean it's someone like you love your kids i have two
3: kids i hope they never become addicts um, but i'll be prepared for that if they do in a different way but like you know what he loved like my father and myself guilt and shame creeps in like there's something more i should be doing um and my sponsor and my mentors in my life helped me understand that one when i start doing stuff for my dad or picking him up taking him in doing this i'm taking his humanity away his dignity to do things for himself um number two he helped me understand that i'm killing my father by en- enabling him my life didn't start to change on my own, and I've gone through prison. I've been homeless, and that didn't stop me. But my mom would always save me because she felt so guilty about what had happened in my childhood and her cheating and me seeing it and then the divorce. And So she would save me, and it didn't matter what program I went through. It didn't matter how much because in the back of my mind, I knew my mom was always going to take care of me, and I could continue to live in my toxic behaviors. I could continue not to learn how to heal or deal with mental health trauma abuse i didn't understand any of that because i didn't want to get help because i had a safety net and that was really hard to hear from my sponsors I was like what do you mean i'm killing my father and he's like well how many times have you gone and got him and said hey do you want help or can i help you with something and you get him a hotel room and what does he do with that hotel room he ends up using fat and meth and you're lucky he's not dead so that was really hard for me to set a boundary for my own care my own self-worth as a loved one to see my father and know not know where he's at But to tell them, hey, when you're ready to go to rehab or when you're ready to get help, I'm going to be there for you, but I can't be a part of this sickness. And I remind them, like, when you guys cut me off and you said you need to go get help and we can't be a part of this is when I started to heal. I started to face my trauma. I started to face abuse. I started to say I had a problem. And then I started to fix it myself. In my first year of my recovery, I didn't talk to my mom at all because we were so codependent, so co meshed And she wanted to save me so bad. and Then she would save me and send me off my way and couldn't wait for me to fail again because she was just as sick as I was in this codependent relationship because she relied on me being sick and she liked having to save me. So once I got better and I'm breaking the chains in my family, I'm starting to see the dysfunction, but I'm also understanding that I cannot save my father. There's no choice I can do other than say, I'm going to be here for when you're ready and I will walk with you then, but I can't walk you on this path. And if you're going to die, then you might die. And that's a sad thing. And that's hard to say out loud because people die from addiction every day. Way too many. I mean, I don't want that for my father, but I'm not God. And so all I can do is just, you know, set that boundary for myself because my worst and my recovery is important. And I'm not going to go out every night or at 3 a.m. looking for him and wondering where he's at. And that's doing him nothing. When he's ready, he's going to make a choice to actually change. But if he knows he has that safety net guess what my father's going to keep doing he's going to fall into the net or we're going to save him and then he's going to be back out in a month or two or three months right back on the streets once he has enough money saved or his car doesn't get repossessed
5: or whatever it is i don't even think that's on a that conscious level do you think they're like in a? it's like in a subconscious part that there's a safety net there's like that you know in that back of the head it's not even it's not even in the forefront. You, you're you're there, you know what I mean?
3: You know, I think it's just part of the cycle that family diseases create. I didn't know any different till I stepped out of my family, till I learned that maybe my whole family's dysfunctional, I'm not the only one struggling, and I need to heal first. But like, when you have that cycle, and you're in the family, because this is a family disease, whether you like to say it or not, like, alcoholism addiction affects the family core. And when you're in that cycle, the rest of the world really doesn't, you don't know anything different. It's just routine almost, you know? And when you really love someone like a kid or your father, you want to help them any way you can, whether it's toxic or healthy. You you just maybe don't know the difference yet. And until you step up and realize that you're banging your face on the wall, trying to save them and hurting yourself... It's almost like the drinking has to become a, well the codependency and the enmeshment and the unhealthy behaviors on the other end start to hit you up and beat you up enough to where you're like, okay, maybe I need to protect myself and learn how to take care of myself as being a loved one of an addict and making boundaries and being able to stand firm with them and saying, I want to help you, but I can't help you that way.
1: And that's really hard. I get that. I don't want to say family too, you know? It's really hard because you know what it's like being in it so right you know you're like i i, I have the solution i'm i am i'm like a walking talking version of that solution and how can you not see that like let me try and impart my knowledge like it's right. the greatest thing right like really it is right well,
3: everybody's bottom's different every everyone's yeah every step My dad's journey, my sisters, my brothers, Mm -hmm. they're not going to get sober the same way I did. No. Yeah. And they're not going to get sober until they're ready. So I don't know what that looks like for them, but when they're ready to get sober, guess where I'll be? I'll be standing right next to them. It'll be the same way you did. Yeah, I'm not going to enable them anymore. Right. I know the difference, and I know enabling is going to hurt me in the long run, Mm -hmm. but again, my sponsor was right. He's like, in the end, that could kill them. And I go, wow, that's a really harsh way to put it, but it kind of hit home for me that my actions of saving them all the time is giving them another opportunity to maybe kill themselves. And I, I, it's that just hit home for me. I was like, especially with fentanyl out there right now,
2: uh, yeah. it,
3: it, t- it could take and people are dead, you know. So, and, but they could die anyways. Like this isn't an easy subject. It's your loved one. You don't, yeah. you don't want them to go through this pain. You don't want them to be stuck in this addiction you want them to be okay and you want to squeeze them and, and yeah you're going to be in sometimes letting go of the reins so they know what it's like to take the reins themselves is what you got to do and then you can mm-hmm. enjoy the ride
5: and ride with them on the recovery you know i agree with you with the elements of the codependency you know like just hearing other people when they talk about it you can see like are they doing it for their kid or are they doing it to provide some sort of comfort in themselves okay now i'm gonna cuddle my babies they're gonna be at home i'm gonna protect them and i'm gonna show them what it's like and then i was starting to like i'm like you derek is like i'm letting it go letting it go i'm like it's not my story it's not my fish to fry or however they want to look at it and and then i when i started to recognize that i was doing that to make myself feel better that i was going to control his situation i i realized that okay now i'm stifling his growth now i'm impeding his potential recovery and i started to like wow this is really eye-opening and i started to let go and if they're gonna get it they're gonna have to do it on their own and we cannot i mean we can't do it to anybody if we could do that I'd bottle it up and uh, make a fortune, but I can't do that. It's just so hard. It's just
4: not easy when it's your when it's your kids. You just want to help them, and when you're you think you're helping them, and you're you're really not. You're just enabling the situation. It's even harder. It's like how how do you do the whole tough love, but still be able to support them? And let them know it it, it's hard it's hard for me to navigate through that because now i have two two adults at my house and they're not just working coming home they chose to come home because they wanted to help with their sobriety and they also want to get get back to where they used to be so
1: i think that's going to start with their sobriety yeah, right? like and that's that's that's, yeah. that's we're getting back to there's the getting back to where the, you used to be that and, until you allow them to take the ownership of it and yeah. you're taking responsibility for some of that. And I think that's just really freaking hard. Just listening to Raul and Derek it's good. Yeah. R- really hard it's to wh- accept.
4: That's a whopper. Yeah, it's right. a whopper. It is Especially for sure. Especially when they when they come to you and say, I, you know. I want to come home, home is my safe place. I need to get my my stuff together. I need to be here with and my I,
1: parents. I think that's so, what Derek and Raul talk about, boundaries and, yeah. and, and, and your own boundaries. Anne looks like you want to say something.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, my son is kind of the opposite. He's only here because he had shoulder surgery and so he couldn't drive, he couldn't, and his, his lease was up and so he really had like his his job ended. His lease was up, and he had shoulder surgery, so he had six weeks of an immobilization cast. And so the plan was he would come back here until he was finished with that process, and and he knows he has to leave, and he has signed a lease, and that was the arrangement was that he was here as long as his, as long as he was immobilized with his shoulder, but then he had to go, and and we'd never laid that boundary down with him before. We'd always made it more open ended, but we. We told him, we gave him the date that he has to move out, and he's going to, and he's gotten a lease to get, I mean, he still has to find a job, which he's starting to do now because he just was able to start driving last week. But he, th- he thanked us for for holding him accountable, and he he said, you know, he commented, you know, you've, you guys have never told me I would have to leave <laughs> at the end of a certain period of time. And he said, I want to leave. He said, don't get me wrong. He said, I feel like when you guys hover over me all the time, you're insulting me. And demeaning my dignity, and you're you're disrespecting me. and and so he said, i the last thing I want to do is be here." And he I've never heard him say that before. So I feel like that's a good thing. Like us us drawing that line kind of made him like feel like empowered, right? And so as long as he feels like he has that sort of wind in his sails right now, knowing he the time the clock is winding down on him here, I think I think that was a good thing. And he, and any time that i try to to second guess or comment or suggest he immediately shuts me down like he's like mom that's that's my business and so it's hard cuz we kind of some sometimes have a more robotic relationship now like cuz i'm just walking on eggshells and not managing not controlling you know i'm always trying to like figure out like what's the what's the line but but i it's pretty much like he's we're kind of ships passing in the night in a way here now and knowing he's Going to be having to go out and and deal with it himself, and so it's weird because I feel like a lot of the spontaneity and our old relationship is kind of gone right now because I don't. I'm kind of just trying not to manage, and as his mother, I mean, that's what mothers do—they keep their kids safe, they help their kids with all kinds of things. You know, they're there when their kids need them, and to be kind of told, "Look, I don't need you, and you're hurting me when you do this," has been an eye opener, but. We're kind of making it work, and I feel like if that's what he's – I'm going to respect him enough to listen to what he's saying and take him at his word. So it's hard, but that's that's where we are with it right now.
5: Hmm. I'm a little confused. Of, like you're saying you're
2: taking alcohol boxes and smelling alcohol? He's When, he he's, when, he was, it in. when he's on a binge here, yes. Um, yeah, he's he – he goes through sobriety phases. He had 15 days last week, and then he, he he left. He got a ride to the city and ended up binging there. But when he binges here, then we have the the problem with alcohol in the house, yes.
4: And he's usually doing that secretly, right?
2: Yeah. Hanging yeah. in his room. Yeah, yeah but some sometimes he'll come to us and say, take this away. Like, not always, but sometimes he'll come with a half, three-quarter, half, you know, full wine box and say... Take this away so but you know it's only going to be another what couple of weeks before he's gone so we'll see how that goes
4: well now that both boys are home they're both their jobs ended because they were bought out by google so they came home after their leases were up and um they Their plan is to find new jobs, which um, my oldest, um, he was actually rehired by the job that was bought out by Google. So Google ended up hiring him back on. He starts Monday. So now it's just a matter of the younger one finding a more consistent job than what he's doing now, which is just door dashing here and there just to pay the couple bills that he has. Um, His health is a big concern. He cannot drink anymore and it took this last uh, stint for him to finally say i'm not going to drink anymore and we'll see i mean i hope he means it if not i might not have a son at age 35 because his his addiction is pretty bad I'm just, I'm I'm hopeful, you know, and he's been going through this for so long and he keeps trying. He keeps going to programs. He keeps going to the doctor, but when he does that, he just hasn't learned to to put in the work like we do. We read books, we do Zooms, we listen to podcasts, we do whatever it takes. We go to AA meetings, if that's what we're doing. Right. We and are putting we put in the work daily to to keep our head in the game of sobriety,
1: and we and, all got to that point. Yeah, on our own.
4: Yeah, I, and I and it took me it took me till about a few months ago to realize, okay, I this is his this is his journey. He's got to do it,
1: and it's um, got to be incredibly was. hard to like separate yourself from that. Like, it I it, it I'm and. I'm, I n w the maternal instinct draws you into trying to want to save and make your nest his again and um, there's there's so much emotion involved. It's, that's that it yeah. it really I'm I'm listening to you all talk and Derek your father and your family and Raul your son and Jen your two sons and Anne your son you all like we're all addicts we all understand that this isn't an easy journey and no, definitely we've all traveled our own and it's really hard to accept that they have to travel theirs too as much as I know what my answers are they're not the same for them they yeah. they have to really find their way so like tonight We talked about our addiction affects so many more than just us. It's that ripple effect, Derek. You talked about it's a family affair, really. Yeah, Um, it is. It's okay to grieve someone that isn't gone. I think Derek, when you listening to all of you talk, it sounds like to get to that acceptance, you almost have to go through a small grievance process to get to that. You know. I think I just have to let go. And it's the grieving of that either enmeshment or codependency or wanting to save someone that really, like that pulls at your heartstrings. You can't control anyone else's recovery.
5: One of the things that they say a lot in the recovery, let go and let God, you know, trust in the process. And for me. It was really hard. It was really hard, and it was it got me depressed. But I'm coming out on the other side of this. I'm seeing changes uh, for me, and one of the best things, the best shining thing that I can do is when my son sees me, we get together. He goes, Dad, you look great. Oh my God, he could tell. Like uh, Jen was talking about earlier, or we can tell, hey, that light is a little dim on my son, and it's sad to see how my son like, I know he's still using and I know he's still, you know, still using. I mean, you can just see it in people's Mm -hmm. face. And for me to be showing up, to be there, to be the best example is the best thing that I can do is like show up, show up for myself. Mm -hmm. And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen, but it is not my responsibility. And it took me a long time to separate and to draw that boundary and to let go and, you know, and there's freedom. There's a lot of different freedoms from uh, active addiction. And like, I found it, I still love him more than ever. Mm-hmm. And he knows that. And he has a lot of respect for me. And I just keep showing up for me. And he just, I mean, sobriety speaks for itself. I don't have to talk to him about it. He knows that I'm there and I don't have those conversations though, because like Steve said, they have to come to it on their own. And Derek talking about his dad, is sad. I mean, it's really, really sad, but there's the, that, like, what are they talking about? Uh, tough love, right? Like yeah. that, I love him that much that I will just get out of his way. Because when I do, I'm stifling his growth. I'm stifling his journey. And and it's the toughest thing I had to do, but I've been able to do it. And I've actually found some peace over it. And it's helped yeah. our relationship.
3: The last time I saw my dad, which was about a week ago, and he's coming off the streets, fentanyl, meth. He's ready to get help. He looks like something out of Moses because he's got such a beard. And he reminds me of myself. And I'm we were sitting at that moment, I sit down with him, and he, he's like, yeah, You still love me? I'm like, Dad, I'm always going to love you, man. There's just some paths I can't take with you. And that's really hard. And like I heard that, and I go, If you take this path, guess what? We get to have a relationship. We can can do things together. We can love each other. But if you keep going this other path, I got to stay at the crossroads. And that's really hard to tell him that, but I want him to hear that, that he knows that no matter what he's doing, I will love him. I'll show him grace. I'll always be there for him. I'll be kind. I just can't walk that path. But if he chooses this path, He gets his grandsons, he gets his kids, he gets his own life, his own spirituality, his own healing, and it's so uncomfortable, but like that path, I can take every step with you. So that, I mean, that was kind of cool, that realization of crossovers. and it's hard to see loved ones, after you tell them something like that, they'll turn and take the path you told them not to take, (laughs) and you're sitting there going, oh man, like, and that realization of how powerless and helpless I am, and realizing that I have to take care of myself, do my own work, do my own work. So when the time right is right, I can show up as my best version to my father with healthy boundaries, with, with the love and respect I have for myself, because right now he's taking that choice and guess what? I'm calling him. I'm there for him. Like, how can I support you? Because I want him to know that this, that this action, this choice he's making is going to allow him to have his son in his life. And there's power behind that. So, I just want to. I emphasize. can
5: totally relate to that, to that pain, and love, Derek. For sure, man. Compassion. Like I'm, I'm listening to you guys, and
1: and, and it's like a dose of vitamin N. No. Right, like no, because that's my boundary. And then it's just love and <laughs> compassion. Right there. <laughs> What's that?
5: That's funny right
1: there. <laughs> right? It is. It's like a dose of vitamin N because you just, you, you understand that you can't. You guys really help close this right out for me. So it's just amazing that compassion and love, you call it tough love, but really it's like, I know where you're at. I understand where you're at. And I know there's nothing I can do for you. And it's just great. It's hard, but you know, if they finally find that, that way you can be with them on the other side. So I want to say thank you guys for your time tonight. Really appreciate, really appreciate your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being here. Derek, Raul, Jen, and Anne, you guys were great. Thank you so much.
5: Thanks uh, for, thank you. for thank you. having us. Love hearing thank everybody's everybody. story. Take care. We
0: really Take appreciate care. you guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much. Take care.
1: And thank you so much to our listeners for sharing space with us today. Be sure to subscribe, like, and follow through the Glass Recovery Podcast. And don't miss next week's episode about finding our identity in recovery.